You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 590 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on NBA Draft Eve. It is about 9 o'clock Eastern Time uh, on Wednesday night, just for just for reference in case something happens uh, later in the evening that's going to mess this podcast up, but uh, you will know when I am recording, and uh, it's that time of the year when real time really matters. So, welcome to the podcast today. We'll talk about the NBA Draft, of course. With some final thoughts, just me on today's podcast, it's worth noting that I have a ton of NBA Draft content, including a bunch of guests in the recent past, so please subscribe and go back and check those podcasts out. Um, in the meantime, though, we are going to cover the uh, the big news of the day, which is the uh, the trade the Hawks did earlier on Wednesday, and then we'll get into uh, some stuff looking ahead to Thursday. So the trade that the Hawks announced kind of came out of the blue. There was no real reporting on it. It kind of just emerged and it was announced by the two teams, the Hawks and the Miami Heat, came together on a deal on Wednesday that w- that will send the number 44 pick to Miami. That is, that is of course, the Hawks' sixth pick in the draft. Their, their last pick of the three, and one of their three second rounders of 35, 41, and 44. No huge surprise that the Hawks would move off a pick. They are, of course, famously on record as saying that they were not going to bring even five rookies to camp, and they have six on the roster right now. So the second round picks were always going to be in the firing line. With that said here, the details are a little bit shaky at this point. It was announced as the number 44 pick to Miami for a conditional 2024 second round pick and cash considerations. The word conditional is doing a lot of work in the announcement, and it threw a lot of people off. Um, at this point in time, there is no you know ultra firm reporting on what this actually is going to be. Ira Winderman of the South Florida Sun Sentinel did report earlier on Twitter I'm going to read what he tweeted out earlier, and he said the following. It was, quote, the 2024 pick goes to the Hawks unless it's 56 to 60, in which unlikely case it would go to Cleveland, end quote. So basically, if that if that line holds true, then the Hawks will get the pick from Miami in 2024 if it falls between number 31 and 55 in the second round of the draft. Um, that pick is currently... Top 55 protected uh, and actually owed to Cleveland as part of a Dwayne Wade trade, which doesn't really matter all that much. It's just one of those things for the Hawks where if that reporting is true, then this is a better deal for the Hawks. No question about it. That's that's a real pick if that if that if that reporting is true. Granted, it is five years away. That's a long, long time. But um, you know, if if the Hawks were trading a pick in this draft in the middle of the second round for a uh, a real second round pick and some cash for 2024, that is a defensible move considering that the Hawks have all these picks in the uh, in the I guess in the present and the uh, very near term future. With that said. There's also a school of thought out there, and it's still confirmed at this point in time uh, in terms of uh, Winterman's reporting. If, uh, in sort of a, an uglier scenario, the Hawks were basically selling this pick, that would not be great. So if that pick is just going to be you know, lightly uh, protected to the point where the Hawks probably won't get much out of it. If they, if it was 50, 51 to 55, for instance, or if it was some iteration where it basically ends up being a, a sold pick, it wouldn't be great. Uh, the Hawks can receive up to up to, up to about three point two million dollars in cash um, this this year in, ter- in terms of the, uh, the money that they could actually uh, that they're actually allowed to bring in under league rules. Um, that number would have pretty much have to drop to some degree if the pick was actually a real pick. 
I don't love the timing of the move in general, just because of the fact that you know the, the draft is still 24 hours plus away when they were when they were electing to plot that trade, and there could have been a door that opened somewhere along the way to use 44 in a different way. So, but basically, it comes down to this: if they basically sold this pick um, just for money, that is not a great basketball outcome. In fact, it's kind of an indefensible one from a basketball standpoint. It's not the biggest deal in the world. It's a mid, it's a mid second round pick. The fallout is not too significant. And as I said on a on a previous podcast, selling picks is not something that that, that fans should really tolerate and and approve of, just because there, there's no benefit to a team in terms of on the court, in terms of basketball only, which is all fans should really care about. Um, you know, there's no benefit there to the team. Um, it, it definitely benefits ownership's pockets if that's the case. But uh, aside from that, you know, it's a move that's obviously defensible and. Um, I guess, earnest for the ownership group, but at the same time, um, you know, on the court, if it's just a pick sale, then I obviously don't love that. I've been saying that all, all along. And also Travis Schlank said earlier uh, in his media availability last week that they were, they, were, they were going to try to avoid selling picks. If you say that and then execute a deal that actually ends up being basically a sold pick a day before the draft, that's not going to be the greatest visual in the world. So if you're a Hawks fan, hope that the Ira Winderman reporting is accurate, in which case the Hawks will have a real second round pick five years from now. And obviously, this is not going to be huge news when uh, everything gets blown off of the front page by what happens on Thursday. But it, it did happen on, on Wednesday, and I felt like we had to cover it. So that's going to be that for now. Basically, there are two scenarios here to wrap up quickly on this topic. One is that, they, one is that the Hawks sold this pick. That would not be great. And I would criticize that pretty heavily, even if it doesn't really matter all that much in the mid-second round. And uh, scenario number two is that they kicked the cane down the road for five years, something that I've been talking about for a while now, in a, um, in a, in a scenario where the Hawks don't want to make six picks, you know, and they can't move up and package those picks, you know, trading it in the future is defensible. They did the same thing last year when they didn't want to pick, make a pick at number 34. That did not work out all that great, in my opinion. There were some guys on the board at 34 last year that would have certainly brought some value, but still, it's defensible. You add future value, get some money, and all that stuff. So, all that to say, not not a huge blockbuster by any means on Wednesday, but a trade was announced, and uh, the Hawks now enter Thursday, at least as I record this on Wednesday night, with only five picks again. They, they at one point had five for a long time, then they went to six, now it's five again, and uh, keep that in your mind as the NBA draft approaches. All right, we're going to take a quick break now before we get back to talk about the NBA draft and all my final thoughts, so here's a word from our sponsors. All right, and we're back to talk about all the stuff in advance of the draft on Thursday. Again, I have talked about this draft for months and months on this podcast on, on this podcast feed as well as uh, written content on PeachtreeHoops.com about the Hawks and as well um, over at DimeMag on a, on a full NBA um, coverage standpoint. So plenty of content to go back and listen to if you want to go do that. And we, we welcome any, any new listeners to the podcast. Thank you for joining us as we, as we get, get closer to the draft here. And I will, of course, have a wrap-up podcast or two or three after the draft is over. So please stay tuned for that. With that said, we'll start with the mock and kind of where the mocks are landing right now. The mocks are kind of interesting. You know, they've been changing. There's a lot of uh, the model right now is to have the mocks sort of ever changing as the draft approaches. And that's a, it's probably it's probably smart with Intel flying around. There was a major trade in the league today with Mike Conley going to Utah. And of course, this Hawks minor trade that happened earlier. But for now, I want to run down some, some of the mock scenarios that are out there at this moment at 9.04 p.m. Eastern time, now that we're still recording. Um, ESPN currently has the Hawks projected to select Cam Reddish at number 8, Jackson Hayes at number 10, 
uh, Brandon Clark at number 17, and then when we get down, down into the second round, it gets a little bit lighter with only two picks, but Carson Edwards and Jordan Poole of Michigan at 35 and 44. Um, as for the athletic and good friend of the program, Sam Vecini, by the way, if you missed the podcast, I had Sam on the I had Sam on the show last week. He is one of the best in the business, and uh, his mock draft right now is uh, pretty similar, actually, to what ESPN has. It's Cam Reddish at number 8, Jackson Hayes at number 10, it is, um, I believe, still Brandon Clark. I'm looking right now. Yeah, Brandon Clark at number 17. And then you get down into uh, Dervitas Servitas at, at 41 and Chumo Kiki at 35. So a little bit different in the second round, but a lot of consensus forming right now at 8, 10, and 17 if the Hawks were to stay put. Sports Illustrated, Jeremy Wu is another one that had uh, the, red, the reddish Hayes Clark um, trio. I will say for my own mock draft over at Dime that went up on Wednesday morning, I actually have reddish Gogo Batazzi at 10 and PJ Washington at 17. Chris Kirchner tweeted this out as well on Wednesday, but there's been a little bit of feeling that PJ Washington could be in the mix at 17 for the Hawks. That's something to keep, keep an eye on potentially. Um, and, you know, mock drafts are interesting and some, sometimes informative. It's always important to read them for what they are. And particularly, I think the ESPN, Jonathan Gavoni, um, Mike Schmidt's mock draft is us- it's useful for sourcing information. Same with Jeremy Wu, Jer- Jeremy Wu and Sam Mussini. Those guys all have real sources. Please check those out through that prism. But that's where the Hawks are right now. We'll come back to some more stuff on the lottery in a moment. Um, through the prism of the trade rumor stuff that's out there, you know, of course, Travis Schlenk admitted last week that trade up scenarios could be interesting for the Hawks. They have a little bit less firepower now to do that in the second round. That was the direct quote that Travis Schlenk offered last Friday. I'm going to read that to you one more time here. It's no secret that with our three second-round picks, we're going to try to package them and move up if we can. What we don't want to do or what we try to do is avoid selling them. So that's that's that for Travis Schlenk. But um, they can still pack, package 35 and 41 to move up if they wanted to do that, or they, or they can stay uh, stand pat at 35, 41, maybe take a stash. I still think um, you know probably the sweet spot is three or four rookies coming into camp next year. Five still seems like it's going to be too many, given what Travis Schlenk has been saying in advance of the draft. So keep that in mind. They have five picks now, but it's probably going to dwindle to some degree, either by uh, either by drafting a stash or making a trade or two. Of elsewhere, nothing new in terms of uh, trade stuff that really came out on Wednesday. I talked on yesterday's podcast with Tyler Jones about all the trade rumors that are currently out there, including the uh, the famous, now famous one with eight and ten and four with the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. There's some New York Knicks chatter that's probably quieted down now after Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted that they have now centered in on um, R.J. Barrett at number three overall. So it seems like you know maybe four, maybe maybe four and five are still on the board with New Orleans and, and Cleveland, depending on what goes on. But uh, nothing new to report on the trade front I do think that you know eight and ten for four does make some sense in some ways and I think and I think Cleveland I've long thought Cleveland is an intriguing trade option so that those are the two that I'm keeping an eye on really through the trade-up scenario and we'll come back to that in a moment in terms of how I feel about second round picks, um, I will say, you know, getting only two of those guys now, or at least a chance of two of those guys, takes a little bit of the steam out of here. But I, w- I wanted to just throw out a lot of names real quickly of guys that I would understand if they were drafted in the top 45. You know, it's top 41 now for the Hawks. I only get down to 41. But here's a bunch of guys who I think would be okay. Not that I'm really endorsing these players as number 41 or 35 picks, but guys I would not criticize the Hawks for taking. In this range, uh, Justin Wright Foreman, Iggy Brasdakis of Michigan, Terrence Mann, John Conchar, Quindary Witherspoon, Jalen McDaniels, Justin Robinson, Mie Onye of Yale, Nas Reed for his upside from LSU. I don't love that fit, but he's a definitely a talented guy. Zylan Cheatham from Arizona State. Um, 
Cody Martin of Nevada would be kind of a reach, but I, I do like the fit quite a bit there. Charles Matthews as a, as a two-way contract potential. He is, of course, injured, has a 20 ACL, but I think he was a top 40 guy for me before he got injured. Jalen Noel, Yovel Zeusman from the international stash route, Jordan Poole, Brian Bowen, and Dean Way would all be you know guys I would not necessarily recommend. They're not in my top 41 uh, or, or even top 45, but guys who wouldn't um, you know wouldn't blow me away if the Hawks went in those directions. Um, guys who were I think more reasonable in that you know for me in that 40 to 50 range on my board that would, would certainly be kind of fluid. I'm gonna name these guys as well, guys who I think would be just just solid picks at 41 potentially. Bull Bull, Terrence Davis. Uh, by the way, Bull Bull's not going to fall that far, but it's, that's kind of where he is on my board anyway. Just to keep in perspective, he's not going to he's not going to fall that far. But I wanted to point that out. Um, Tremont Waters from LSU. Davidas Servitas is a popular stash target for the Hawks. That could be at, 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 there at forty one. Daquan Jeffries, Luguens Dort. Admiral Schofield, Isaiah Roby, Zach Norvell, and Lewis King would all be pretty interesting picks for me. Um, now I'm going to go to a different segment and tier for me that I'll, I'll take some more time with. And these, these are guys who I would be uh, excited about the value at 35 and 41. These are guys who I have as top 40 picks that should be taken in this range and I think would be good fits in Atlanta. There's about there's about 10 of these guys, so please bear with me a little bit. Chumo Kiki is perhaps my favorite second round value. He's a top 25, um, definitely top 30 guy for me on my board. He, he sort of, I think he would top 20 without the injury from Auburn. A very interesting forward prospect. Matisse Teibel probably won't fall this far, but certainly could given his age and the, the worst, weird circumstance that he was in at Washington, but a, a, a potential defensive monster. Really like him quite a bit. Uh, Ty Jerome isn't a great fit necessarily with his defensive and athleticism concerns, but he's super skilled. A big combo guard type that's a great shooter. The Hawks would certainly like his offensive game uh, quite a bit. Eric Paschal from Villanova, a combo four that I would really like the Hawks to get involved with, potentially even in a trade-up scenario at the end of the first round. But certainly at 35, he'd be someone who would be high on my list of guys they should be considering. Dylan Windler, a knockdown shooter from Belmont who has good size, would be a very Hawksy pick with a shooting range. Bruno Fernando and Daniel Gafford, a pair of big men. I think Fernando is probably going to be gone before the Hawks pick at 35. He seems to be like a late first, maybe like 31-32 kind of uh, draft pick. Some people are really high on him. I think it would be a good value at 35 to be sure, and it, that would not be a bothersome thing for me at all. If Hawks went in that direction, Gafford's the same way, although I'd rather have Fernando than Gafford just for the record. Uh, Darius Baisley is someone who has some real traction, I think, right now. Going up to up, up into potentially into the late late first round, he's of course the high school guy who missed all the season as uh, he was doing a New Balance internship. But he's a very talented forward with some real upside, in my opinion. Shamori Pons is a backup point guard. Would be a little bit further down the list, but certainly a reasonable pick if the Hawks wanted to go in that direction. And then finally, Taylor Horton Tucker, a uh, bit of an enigma guy from uh, from Iowa State, but a very talented player that some people have like in their top 20. He's uh, sort of a mixed bag, but someone who has enough talent to bank on the upside. And uh, last but not least, Jonte Porter, who is all about the medical. Porter is a top 15, 20 talent in this class, in my opinion. So if he's still, if he's available there and you like his medicals, you know, probably not a great fit defensively with what the Hawks are going to do, but he's a very very skilled big man and would be a good flyer to take in that range. So that's a lot of information to throw at you and a lot of guys I've just mentioned. But in general, I'm going to just quickly read the game, read the names again of the guys who I would, I would actively recommend at 35 and 41. And that is Chumo, Kiki, Matisse, Teibel, Ty Jerome, Eric Pascal, Dylan Windler, Bruno Fernando, Daniel Gafford, Darius, Darius Baisley, Shamori Pons, Taylor Horton Tucker, and Jonte Porter. Keep that in mind for the future. 
All right, now we'll go, we'll go pick by pick a little bit here. I wanted to reference quickly, if the Hawks were to trade back into the first round using 35 and 41 or maybe go up to 28 or so, something like that, I would uh, add to the mix guys who, who are almost certainly not going to fall that far. Um, but Nick Claxton from Georgia would be very interesting if they, don't, they haven't already drafted a center. He's someone who I think will probably go in the top 20, but if he slips, that could be interesting. And then Lucas Amanich a, uh, is, is pretty much the consensus number three international prospect behind Sekou Demboya and Gogo Batazzi. He He's very interesting as well. And I would also add Grant Williams, who I love. He's a top 17 guy for me. And I think uh, there's at least a possibility, according to the mocks and some of the buzz now, that he could last into the late 20s, early 30s. That would be a heist for any team. And that includes the Hawks. Um, at number 17 overall, and by the way, and we'll stop here for a second. I am uh, very aware that the Hawks are not likely to pick at 8, eight 10, and 17. I'm sort of hamstrung to some degree by the lack of uh, reporting and buzz about what exactly is going to happen. There is a little bit of stuff when it comes to, um, there's a little bit of weirdness when it comes to the fact that, you know, they, they could certainly, um, you know, move. It's just, in the lottery, there's the obvious stuff going up to, going up to uh, four or five, but late, it's always tough to project, and you need, you need a trade partner to be able to do that. So, all that to say, going up to this late, sec- late, late first round wouldn't be a surprise. Same thing on the first round, but for now, we'll just break down all these picks, knowing full well that they're probably not going to stay at 8, 10, and 17 perfectly, and maybe they will. It's not po- it's not crazy to think that they, that they would hang around in those three spots, but we'll just do our due diligence in every, every possible way that we can here on the podcast. So, number 17 overall, these are the guys I'd be considering. I would uh, generally pass and be lower on these couple of players who are often projected in this range. I would not take Rui Hachimura. I would not take Tyler Hero. I would not take Romeo Lankford or I think it's, I'm not even sure how to say his first name, but Kevin Gelly from Florida State. Those guys are often projected in that range. I do not have them that high. And, uh, you know, Hero and Lankford, it's more of a fit thing for the Hawks. Those guys are legitimate top 20 talents in this draft. Hero is a great shooter. I think his defensive and other other weaknesses would be magnified in Atlanta. He's he's a pretty small guy with short arms. Just wouldn't be a great fit with what the Hawks already have on the roster. Lankford, same thing. I mean, different reasons, but fit-wise, he's a guy who really can't shoot it. And on the wing, with where the Hawks are, they're going to need some shooting, and he needs the ball and and probably isn't a great shooter. So not a great combination there. Um, You know, I wouldn't blow me away if they drafted him at 17 because he is a talented guy and that they think they, they can fix his jump shot, but I would not be going that direction. And Calvin Gale, just the basketball IQ is not really there for him. I think there are other big men available that I would prefer, including Nick Claxton, who's often mocked in that same range. Um, as for the rest of the guys at 17, who I think would be very solid options, not like over the moon about these guys, but very solid options. P.J. Washington, I mentioned reference him earlier on the podcast. Grant Williams from Tennessee. Kevin Porter as an upside play from USC would be just fine with me. He has a lot of upside. I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan in the world, but there's enough talent there to certainly justify that investment at 17. Uh, Nick Claxton, and then Nikhil, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. It's like a do-everything, check-a-lot-of-boxes role player. You know, 6'5", with 6'10", six, six, wingspan, could handle the ball a little bit, play good defense. He's not great at anything, but not someone who's going to take a lot off the table either. I think he'd be a very solid play at number 17 overall. Um, if you want to get more lofty and uh, maybe get a, li- a little bit lucky with the way the board falls, these guys I've seen at least fall one or, one or two times in um, – Mock drafts, and I would like these guys uh, better given where they are on my board. I would say Nazir Little is capable of falling to 17. I would bet against it, but it certainly could happen. Same for Gogo Batazzi, who is often projected to fall a little bit in this class. He's a top 10 guy for me, just for reference. Brandon Clark is often mocked now to 17. He's a top 12 or 13 guy for me. He's an excellent prospect. Jackson Hayes, I have behind guys like Goga and Clark, but still, you know, at 17, it would be a home run pick. 
And then Kelton Johnson is more appropriately mocked at 17, I would say, but someone who does a lot of things well on the wing and wouldn't take too much off the table. I really like him as, a, as sort of a fallback option at 17 overall. I guess one more guy that I, that I at least should mention is Sekou Naboya. I can't imagine him falling that far, but at least it's mocked once or twice that I've seen, so I'll throw it out there as a possibility, even if it does not seem to be likely whatsoever that he would get to 17. All right, now that we're now we're we're into the top ten and uh, things are going to be interesting. So, basically, in terms of guys that I would pass on at number ten, I would say anyone that I I, I mentioned and passing on at seventeen. That's Hachimura, Hero, uh, Lankford. Those guys would be not in the mix here for ten. I would not take Jackson Hayes at 10. There's a lot of um, smoke right now to make me think that, that it absolutely couldn't happen. The Hawks do like Jackson Hayes from what I understand. And of course, the mocks are liking that pick. It wouldn't be bad at all, I would say. You know, he, he is a talent. He's a lottery level talent. And if the Hawks are convinced that he can shoot it down the line, I would be more in on this. That's my biggest concern with Jackson Hayes is pairing John Collins with a big that doesn't really profile to shoot well. If you think that he can, um, that's interesting. Uh, Hayes also needs to rebound the ball better. He's not a good re- rebounder at all right now, but he's certainly very long, very very athletic, very fluid, um, great hands, for instance, and a guy who is sort of a late bloomer that could continue to grow and, uh, you know, would not be my pick. But at the same time, I think Hayes would be perfectly reasonable. I wanted want to address him specifically because he's been mocked so often at number 10 overall. It wouldn't be a scenario where I would do it, but I, I do understand why people like Jackson Hayes. Um, elsewhere at number 10, I think optimally, I would be choosing between Goga, Batazzi, and Nasir Little. Those are the two guys that I would be focused on at number 10 if the Hawks were to stay put, given where the, you know, given where the mocks are and given where the ranges are. That'd be what I'd be choosing from. And you can't you kind of can't go wrong with those two guys. Um the next tier down for me, and it's really not even a huge tier drop. Honestly, I'd be perfectly fine if they were to select Brandon Clark or Seku Demboya as well at number 10. Demboya is uh, a little bit further out, but if the Hawks were to stay put at number at number eight, for instance, and have a couple of swings here, Demboya is probably even more interesting because of the fact that he's more of an upside play that might take a year or two to uh, come into his own, but a very talented guy. Uh, and Clark is uh, a little bit older, obviously, but more established, probably a little bit safer than Deboya is. Uh, as for number eight overall, the first pick that the Hawks actually have, if they don't, if they don't make the trade, um, this is the one that we know a little bit more about, so it's probably easier to whittle down right now what the Hawks might do. You know, the top seven consensus that's out there, um, you know, probably will st- probably will hit. I-, I would say I'd be a little bit surprised if the top seven wasn't a top seven, and, and that is, of course, in some order. Um, of course, the top three is almost locked in here with Zion. John Morant and RJ Barrett. And then from there, the next four guys in some order, I would imagine, are going to be Jarrett Culver, DeAndre Hunter, um, Darius Garland, and Kobe White. Um, that's the sort of that's sort of the top seven mock consensus. It could change, of course. A lot of things can happen between now and draft night, even though it's only 20 hours away at this point in time. But if that goes according to plan, the Hawks stay at number eight. I think Reddish should be the pick. Cam Reddish should be the pick for me. He'd be number, he'd be my guy that's highest rated left. He's often mocked to the Hawks. And of course, the Hawks like Cam Reddish quite a bit. That's been out there in the ether for months now. I've heard it a million times, and it's absolutely true. So, you know, if something something weird were to happen and someone fell like Hunter or Culver, I would prefer those guys to Cam Reddish. But you know, if the if the board breaks the way that it's projected to break, and the Hawks stay put at number eight, Reddish is the logical choice in my opinion. You know, it wouldn't it wouldn't bother me if the Hawks went a different direction if they went with Dumboya or Little or even Goga. Without none of that stuff would bother me. But I think uh, you know, on my personal board, I had Reddish next, so I have to say he'd be the pick that I would make if they were to stay put at number eight and the board held true. Um, you know, so that's that's probably where I am there. The only other guys, you know, I, again, I, I would not. Um, criticize the Hawks openly if they were to take Demboya, Little, or Goga at number eight overall. I think it'd be pretty aggressive to take either Clark or Hayes in that spot, but, you know, 
I understand it. And again, it's a very flat draft. So getting too worked up about individual picks is something that I won't do on this podcast. But there are guys that I prefer just like anybody else. And, you know, for me, there's some def- some, some defined tiers. Like if they were to take Hachimura in the top 10, I would criticize that. I don't have him anywhere near there. Same thing with Lankford, et cetera. So we'll get into that if it comes to it. But for now, I think the widely projected pick of Cam Reddish at number eight is uh, A, pretty likely if it, if the Hawks were to stand, put, stand pat there and B, the pick I would also make. So there you go on that. And rarely does a mock draft align with what I would actually do, but this is one of those times. So maybe it'll actually happen on Thursday. All right, so if, as sort of a, like, like a final thought here, um, you know, the, the being on record as uh, being aggressive with second-round picks and uh, Travis Schlenk, you know, they could certainly move, move up. That would not be a surprise to me. I'd be pretty surprised if they were to actually, you know, make – make five picks at this point in time. Um, there has been some reporting since, since I even started recording this podcast that the Heat are sending the Hawks $1.88 million in cash for the pick at number 44 as part of that trade. That's sort of the hedge amount. It's right in the middle of the range of where the, of where the Heat could have been offering. So that's more context for what we were talking about earlier and the protections are still up in the air at this point in time. But just wanted to add that in there as I'm recording here. Um, elsewhere though, second round picks, I think trading out even one more time is fine. I have no problem with it. If they were to get another pick in the future or assets in the future, that's totally fine. I think uh, Davidis Servetus is the only guy that I would actively endorse as a stash pick in the top 41 now that the Hawks would be picking. Servetus is someone who I have in that range. And if the Hawks wanted to, you know, Make make five picks and only take only take four guys to camp, he would be the guy I would be actively trying to get um in the forties if I was the Hawks. I do think packaging though is still on the table, even if it's just to go from like 35 to 30. Um, 41 might be able to do that. So keep that keep an eye on that in the future. If it was me, I said this before on the podcast, but if you're a new listener, if it was me, I would stay put at 8, 10, and 17, most likely. You know, trading down is probably off the table at this point in time, but that's something I would have considered at least doing. Uh, I would, I'm on the record. I, I continue to think that if it was me making the decision, I would stay at eight and 10. With that said, I'm more okay with trading up from those picks. If, you, if it nets Jarrett Culver, who I view as a guy who's kind of on the same level as RJ Barrett, for instance, as number three and number four, Culver would be my guy. If I was going to go trade up, I want to be on the record about that. Um, but you know, I would, I would stay put, but I will not, I will not kill the Hawks if they go get their guy. I understand all that. And we talked about that at length with Tyler yesterday. So go back and listen in that podcast if you would like to. Um, final thing here, um, my perfect draft if the Hawks were to stay pat would be Reddish at number eight, uh, unless someone like Hunter falls, or I guess maybe, God forbid, Colbert falls to eight. But if, if it goes according to plan, I think Reddish is the guy at eight. Um, and then somewhere, somebody between Little, Goga, and Sekou Dumboya at number 10, whoever's left, one of those guys could go at nine, particularly Little or Dumboya to Washington. But still, whoever's um, your guy in that range, if it was, you know, all, if I have all three choices, I would probably take Little and, and pair Reddish and Little together, but Gogo would be just fine, the new boy after that. Um, later, at 17, I would take the best available player out of this five-man group. I guess they could all be gone in theory, but I think one of these guys is going to fall that far, and that is Goga, Brandon Clark, Demboya, Jackson Hayes, and Kelton Johnson. I'd take the best available player of those five if they were to get there at 17. If they were all gone for some reason, you go into the next tier of you know Grant Williams, um, you have P.J. Washington, that kind of group. But I think one of those five is going to be available at 17, and I would take whichever one of those guys falls that far. Unless you're in a situation, the one thing that I would not do is draft two centers. Um, you know, Clark, I think, can at least play the four, and uh, you know he doesn't really qualify as a center. The only thing, only thing that I would not do is pair Hayes and Goga, which, which I think is probably self-explanatory, but I at least want to say it out loud. If the Hawks take Hayes or Goga at number 10, you can't take the other one at number 17. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, so put that out there in the ether. 
Um, if you were to trade up in this draft and get up to four, my guy would be Culver. I said that before. And then you, it, presumably you have to use eight or 10, eight and 10 or eight and 17. Hopefully you could still get another guy um, that you like and with, with the other pick, whether it be 10 or 17. And that would be for me, the same, the same usual suspects, Little, Goga, Clark, and Hayes. If you can get one of those guys at 17 and using, a, using a, the other two picks to go get Jarrett Culver, I'm on board with that as well. And that makes a lot of sense. And then you have guys like Keldon, PJ, PJ Washington, Grant Williams as reasonable choices if the other guys are actually gone. So that's a lot of content by myself on a Wednesday night. But um, you know, when the, when the draft is tomorrow, I have to uh, go ahead and fire away. So it is what it is. Um, Last thing that I wanted to do is plug everything that's transpired in the last couple of months. I, I will say you will not find too many team-related podcasts that are going to go this deep on the NBA draft for this long. Part of that is that I do NBA draft coverage over at Dime. I am sort of the draft guy over there. I know Brian Schroeder does some stuff as well, but I'm, you know, I'm the mock draft guy, the news guy, all that stuff. So um, all that fun stuff. Please check that out if you are in, interested in the entire league. Um, on this podcast, I have had the following guests in the last like three or four weeks. I have sort of had a bevy of fantastic guests. Sam Bassini, Coles Wicker, Chris Stone, Jeff Siegel, Tyler Jones twice, Jackson Frank, Ben Pfeiffer, Brian Schroeder, and Jonathan Washerman of Bleacher Report have all been on the podcast in the last within the last month, in addition to all of my solo shows and trade reactions, et cetera, et cetera. Please check that stuff out if you want to go back and listen to it. At least download it. You may not have time to listen to all of it before, before the draft on Thursday, but go back and rate, review, subscribe, and download. I really, really appreciate that. And if you're a fan of written content, we have a ton of stuff on the Hawks at PeachtreeHoops.com, including an 87-player, yes, you heard that right, 87-player NBA Draft Scouting Report Series. Me and six of my closest friends over at PeachtreeHoops.com divvied it up and broke down a ton of NBA Draft prospects for profiles. If you want to read about one specific guy um, and basically what amounted to our top 87, you can go back and listen to that. The uh, They did not always uh, post an order of guys and how I would have them on my board, but there is one document on the front page of beachtreehoops.com. It's like a full list gathering place, and you should be able to find anything you want to on any prospect in that particular spot. So please go back and listen to uh, listen to all the podcasts on this feed as well as reading that. That'd be hugely appreciated. So the plan is, unless there's something absolutely insane during the day on Thursday, I do have to go to my day job and then go immediately to the Hawks facility. So probably this is the last podcast, unless you know something earth-shattering, I have to record in my car or something crazy. Uh, and then I will have full coverage on Twitter, at BT Roland, or at Locked on Hawks, at Peachtree Hoops, all those places during the draft. And then we'll have a post-draft podcast on this feed, followed by much more analysis in the uh, week ensuing, because, uh, you know, Fast approaching as free agency, we'll have plenty of that as well in the future. But for now, please please rate, review, subscribe, download, tell your friends about this podcast. We'll all buckle up into what should be a wild Thursday. Um, for me, it's going to be in Brookhaven, uh, Brookhaven, Georgia, but the draft will be uh, taking place in New York. So please, you know, I guess, strap in. We'll have a lot of fun, and uh, we'll see you guys after the draft on Thursday evening. <laughs>